Hey, music lovers, the Cannamom Show podcast in collaboration with Lambkin Guitars is giving away a custom-built, one-of-a-kind electric guitar built by Josh Lampkin. The solid one-piece hemp wood body includes a built-in glass bowl piece. Yeah, you heard me right. You can take a hit and then play a lick. Now's your chance to help the Cannamom Show crush cannabis stigma with your entry. Register for the Hemp Guitar Giveaway online at lampkinguitars.com. That's L-A-M-K-I-N guitars.com. The drawing will be part of a 420 celebration at the Goods Dispensary in Somerville, Massachusetts, where the guitar is on display for the month of April. But don't worry, you don't have to live in Mass or be present to win. Visit LampkinGuitars.com to scope out the Hemp Guitar giveaway details and entry form. You'll even find a video of what could be your guitar in action. L-A-M-K-I-N Guitars.com What's up, everyone? It is 2 p.m. on a Wednesday afternoon, which means you're tuning in to Cannabis Legalization News, where we explain marijuana laws so you can change them. Today, we're joined by Michael Coria from the NCIA. We're going to get into all of the cannabis laws that passed or the initiatives and measures that passed uh, yesterday. Uh, we don't know what's going on with the presidential race, but we do know who won. And that's weed. How y'all doing? Doing great. I was just enjoying a winner earlier. Thank you so much for joining us, Michael. What is the NCIA? Uh, so NCIA is the National Cannabis Industry Association. We are a trade association representing the cannabis industry. We have about, you know, 1,200, 1,500 cannabis industry members. And this year we are celebrating our 10th anniversary. And so our co-founder, uh, Aaron Smith, 10 years ago, thought that the cannabis industry should have some representation at the federal level. Here, here. And so, and so our perspective is basically, and I've been doing this for eight years, so my my job is basically increasing the visibility of the cannabis industry with federal policymakers and talking about the issues affecting the cannabis industry why we aren't treated like every other cannabis industry or every other industry in america why we get penalized on the taxes why we don't have to access the banking why we fear the federal government breaking down the doors and enforcing federal marijuana laws and so uh, yeah. that's one of the things that's one of the things i've been working on for the past uh, eight years well man i gotta i just want to commend you so much for that and big likes and big subscribes and thumbs up for that one because the ncia has been going to bat for this industry for the past 10 years and uh we've been a member for the past two because i met miggy 10 years ago when i wrote a book and then i had just piles of law school debt and illinois was years into the future and like the UBE is this new thing that lawyers can take now and they can magically get a law license wherever. Uh, and I had to do reciprocity. And so like I was a bank lawyer for eight years until I was able to break back into this and, and actually make a life out of it. And, and I really appreciate and I'm pretty stoked that we have you on the show to discuss the state initiatives that we just saw going on. And then also, you know, what happens at the federal level? Because I was doing some uh, some cocktail napkin math regarding the 1.4 million Pennsylvania votes. But man, um, thanks so much for, for being in the industry for eight years and fighting for us on the Hill. Well, thank you. And thank you for the shout out for NCIA. You know, I tell people uh, I have the coolest job in America. You know, I get to do what my experience is, lobbying, politics, Capitol Hill. And I get to do something that actually makes a difference. 
You know, I don't have to sell my soul to some scumbag corporation or some cause that I don't believe in. Actually, if I succeed at what I'm doing, I've made I've made my kid's life and everyone's life so much better. And that's the thing that just keeps me going. And I, I and I get to talk to you guys. I got to meet people like you. I get to go around the country and, and, and just meet cannabis industry advocates. And it's just it's wonderful. I, I am. A, I'm a very lucky guy. I was pretty yeah. stoked when I first saw you a couple of years ago at that uh, Cannabis Alliance meeting speaking and uh, just blew my mind that we there was a cannabis lobbyist like that. So essential for, unfortunately, the progress in America. Well, child, back in 2000, and I think I spoke, that was maybe 2017, 16, 17. Can you imagine what the world looked like in 2013 when I was the first one around and the world was looking at me like cannabis industry lobbyists. What's going on? They still had money for raids yeah. in 2013. They didn't defund this raids against medical cannabis, which, by the way, welcome another uh, two states. I think two states were welcomed into medical cannabis fray. But South Dakota, like, just jumped at both. And yeah. so South Dakota went like, OK, we got medical and we got adult use moving on. And then somebody from South Dakota emailed. I'm like, thank you. Yeah. You know, so. When I, when I first started, which was, this is my, I'm starting my eighth year. It was November 1st, 2013. There technically was no legal sales in this country yet. That didn't happen until uh, January 1st, 2014 in Colorado. And then seven months later in Washington state. Now look at this. When I, when I, when we go back in January, like 15, close to 15 states are going to be legal. It's going to be amazing. Just the, just the trajectory where we're going and how things have changed, how the dynamic has changed over these past seven years. And I, I, I always like to go over the penalties that uh, the, the cannabis industry, as they continue to grow, and they were the, the biggest, the only unanimous winner last night. Just they won everything. And then um, they sure. get to the hill and they find out, no, no, you're, you can't have a bank account. It's mm-hmm. all in cash. You have to pay your taxes twice because it's all illegal, by the way. And uh, and then, you know, and, and, and also in government aid, too. I just got done no government aid. Yeah. My son's financial aid. And I had to click on the goddamn check mark that said he didn't get in trouble for the past since he's been in college. Yeah. Like, <laughs> Think about this. It's illegal at the federal government level. It's legal at the state level. Uh, but the federal government doesn't recognize us. And so we have to pay taxes. We're we're. We have to pay federal taxes, 280E penalties. So the federal government and state governments love taking our money. But at the same time, when a pandemic hits and the industry is really penalized and really hurt, oh, sorry, sorry, you don't have that. You're not a real business. Well, we're either real businesses and then treat us like real business. Or if we're not real businesses, don't take our 280E money. Because how do you take money from companies that aren't real? It's just sort of this dichotomy (laughs) that we live in. It's really messed up. Oh, it's extremely messed up. It's also with the wellness issue, right? Like, as you talk about cannabis and say how it's better for my health, it's better for your health, and people look at you kind of askewed, but it's truth. You know, it's it's a real medicine, just like it's a real business. And that's one of the things, you know, you bring a good point. You know, I... I, you know, one of the, one of the, I, I love fighting for the industry. I love fighting for cannabis reform and, you know, everyone, adults are going to have the right and they're, they, they're going to consume their cannabis regardless if it's illegal or li- illegal. It is that small child trying to get access to medicine. That could be a life-saving medicine, that senior that has cancer, that's trying to deal with pain or anyone out there with a debilitating injury, just trying to get medicine. 
in the fact that some fucking asshole politicians, sorry, my French, not is not allowing. They're getting between them and a doctor, and that's what's wrong. You know, we we're we're going to consume as adults. We're going right. to do that, but just the fact that they're denying people medicine that could actually change their lives is, is disgusting. And they're calling them criminals. Yeah. And they're threatening arrest. Yeah. And they're coming for. Them. And then they, it's like, wow. I mean, how much do we really like to torture ourselves or other people? You know, because then we can look down our nose and be like, that's a bad person. Don't do drugs, kid. You know, which is what the f- asshole that was uh, in the in the George Floyd, one of the, the police officers said yeah. to one of the cameras, yeah. you know, and it's just OK. Uh, you know, which, hey, which is, don't do drugs unless a person in a white coat. And a pharmacy gives it to you. Then, yeah. like, then you can do, or if like, you're a veteran who served your country and you're at the VA, we're going to load you up with every drug known to man, including uh, alcohol. Okay, but whoa, yeah. no marijuana. That's some dangerous stuff. Don't mess around with that marijuana. Do you yeah. think now with the five states that pass legal measures? Because uh, right now uh, the projected is going to be a uh, uh, nine billion. Nine billion. So, um, you know, I'm looking at the stats right there. You know, there. I've heard different estimations. You know, there's the legal. That's what's happening right now. There's the potential. Um, I've seen. I've seen estimations of the illicit market being thirty billion, fifty billion, seventy billion uh, plus. So it depends on how you measure it. But I know, you know, outside of maybe alcohol, it's just going to be one of the biggest industries out there. It's going to be quite amazing. What happens when this is totally legalized across all 50 states? And it's it's an industry, just like the brewing industry, but even more like a localized. You can localize this business so much that the stuff that you grew and smoked in that area was owned by local people, employed local people, and it was paying taxes at that local level. And I think a lot of the communities and municipalities that are out there and uh, Michigan and California are starting to bear this out because when the legalization comes to a state, very often some communities opt out. And then over time, they realize like, hey, they're going to just exactly what you said. They're going to do it anyway, or they're going to drive over there to get it. Why aren't we bringing this money back to our communities? So I remember, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, my mom, you know, I I grew up in the just say no eighties and, you know, my mom, Oh, I don't want you hanging out with your friends after school. You'll get drugs. And I was like, mom, I get drugs at school. And it was, it was just one of those things where guess what? Cannabis has been illegal basically for all of our lives. And we've all gotten it and we all can get access to it. So, you know, let's just hide our head in the sand or let's deal with it like a policy issue. And how do you, you have issues with teen use? How do you address it? You know, smoking cigarettes went down, not because we made it illegal, but because we educated people. Yeah, yeah it just, it's shocking. It's That's a zero tolerance policy. People on this. Yeah, but it's that zero tolerance policy that was reflective of everything that has never worked. That yeah. It's like always just say no to drugs. Otherwise, this bad thing will happen. You know, like yeah. abstinence only sexual education. Not going to really work here, guys. You just yeah. we said it wasn't. Well, OK, I'm <laughs> yeah. glad that you said I can't. I did. Yeah. Now what? You know. Yeah, no, it is. It is quite amazing how and that's one of the things I work on is, you know, in 2013, we call it the giggle factor. You know, I would go around. Uh, meeting federal officials and there was sort of cannabis giggle. I there were a couple times where I would I was physically meeting a politician, going to shake my hand, and you could see them visibly pulling away from me. You know, it was one of those things where it's like, 
what do you think I'm the National Child Molester Foundation? Like, come on. Seriously, we're not NAMBLO over here. Like, yeah, and so, we aren't even the NR fucking A. I mean, like, yeah. we're not even trying to defend a caricaturization of gun rights, you know? We, we, this issue had, we have been lied to by the federal government for so long. Like, it's going to take a bit for middle America to get out of that bullshit. And I, I tell people, you know, one of the things that have changed when you see cannabis. Uh, demographics and you see the charts going up one of the big changes was the broad use of the internet now like when i grew up you got lied lied to you got your information from your school teachers cops the government blah 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 now any 16 year old kid in america can type in marijuana on youtube and, and learn about it right and so i think you can't put the genie back in the bottle and if you look at trends you see after you know early 2000s a, 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 a noticeable spike in what people's views on cannabis were. And I think that's because we could access information and not get lied to. Now, now we've seen Colorado for seven years, Washington State for seven years, Nevada, California. Now everyone's like, wait, they said the world was going to end and the wheels were going to fall off and there would be catastrophe and disaster. Now when that didn't happen and we have the data, other states can sit there and go, you know what, I'm cool with this in my backyard. And that's when you see, you know, you, the slowly the wall breaking apart and the wall crumbling is when we're like, wow, everything they said was going to happen in Colorado didn't. <laughs> and, and, hey, maybe we can. Maybe do we were lied yeah. to. Yes. Like, and, that, and it takes some time. I hate to say it. It just takes some time for yeah. America to, to get, you know, and, and you guys, you, you guys have been activists for a while. And, you know, anyone in, you know, this cannabis culture has been around for 50 years. Oh, but think, uh, yeah. Yeah. But we've never been able to sort of break through to middle America because it was always the us versus them, you know? They were hippies. They were like, get a, arrest them. Yeah, oh, they're those, listening to jazz music. Weirdos. Those are weirdos that consume cannabis. Or Mexicans. Marijuana. Yes. And, and now when we when you break that down, you're like, well, shit, everyone does this. Then, then, then the, you know, uh, the issues of middle America start to peel away and they look around and they're like, Oh shit! You know they start raising their hand. Yeah, that's yeah. I consume cannabis. I do it on a Friday night. You know, I I didn't think you did it. And once yeah. they realize that, then it's like the normalcy factor. And you see this play out. I mean, you know, we'll talk about some of these state ballot initiatives. And I saw this in Oklahoma two years ago when the Oklahoma initiative passed fifty six percent. Like, you can't find probably a more conservative, religious right, Bible Belt country, uh, state than Oklahoma. And it was, yeah, 100%. And like, so like just to break into the Oklahoma reporting, 65.4% uh, for Trump, 32.3% for Biden. It is red as the day is long, yeah. one of the best medical states out there. Yeah. If not the best. And, and look at Mississippi. Mississippi, look at South Dakota. These are red states. And, and traditionally it was like, oh, cannabis is blue states. No, look at, look at what's happening now. And that's going to be, hey, this is now, I've, I've looked at this as a nonpartisan, bipartisan issue for a while now, yeah. but the numbers were never there. Now you're starting to see this, and it's like, holy shit, two-thirds of Mississippi likes this, and yeah. two-thirds of South Dakota want this? Damn. Well, that it's it's that damn thing, and then especially considering it's not a red blue thing, but how do we uh, extract the law enforcement element out of it so that they don't think that everything's going to suddenly they can't arrest these people, and you know, how do you educate them? So, so here's and that's an important point, and here's I think the sixty four thousand dollar question. So, and you ask any active duty cop 
they change their opinion the day after they retire or the day after they become uh, former cops. And there's, you know, um, you know, cops against prohibition uh, and different groups out there. Uh, law enforcement against prohibition, lead other ones. Um, so much of police forces budget go to chasing this plant. So now you're going to strip that away. Now I'm a cop and I've talked to cops. A cannabis arrest, it's a, such an easy arrest. You look, you see smoke coming out of a car, you smell it, you pull someone over, bam. I and how are they? Are they drunk? Are they violent? No, they're usually docile. They're happy. I check off the box to my supervisor. It's easy. It's simple. And so, like, it's just this big circular. They're chasing money. They're doing it. Yeah. Until until you um, can address that issue of cops, like, just getting money and funding, like, I, I wish you could say, hey, go go after the serious drugs. Go after the serious crime. Those go are scary. Serious issues, but it's such an easy, it's such an easy rigged game for them to make marijuana arrests. I mean, what normal put out numbers recently. It's still like 600,000 arrests. Yeah. Give me a break. Yeah. It's three seconds they're pulling someone over. And the worst part is that leads you to opening, like leads you to, hey, I'm going to get into your car. Hey, I'm going to get into your house. Hey. I, I think it smells like something. You're into trouble. Like it just leads to so many issues where you see police violence happen. That all started with the, I think I smell something. You know, and it, you take that away, and then like so many things will go away with just that. Michael, you brought a great point about the internet and, and legalization. I wanted to point out analytics because I'm, I'm a little bit of a nerd. Uh, they fucking the the searches went up as of yesterday. Yeah, and uh, uh, look at the places that search: uh, South Dakota, Montana, New Jersey, Mississippi. All, and then if you look at the cannabis term search, something just as well: South Dakota, Oklahoma. These people are looking up the yeah. the the ignorance that they were taught. You know, they're being they're they're, they're becoming woke, for lack of a better word. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's just it's just you know you saw this with the gay rights movement uh, for years, and that is once people started going wait. You know, their coworker, their uh, relative, their friend, their family member were all of a sudden gay, lesbian, and then they're like, oh, you're just like us. What the fuck? What are we doing? <laughs> right. It's the same thing where it's just a matter of, um, you know, like I said, there were so many years it was us versus them, or you would hide the fact. Now you can be pretty open and know that your life's not going to get ruined, although people's lives are still being ruined because of this. You know, I, I look at um, during the 2016 presidential election, uh, Jeb Bush was sort of ridiculed on stage because he had smoked cannabis and blah, 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 and nothing happened. Well, guess what? When you're a rich white kid going to a private school and you smoke cannabis, nothing happens. But when you, if you're not that, think about your life could get over and think about how your career could get ended and how maybe you don't go to college. And how maybe your path changes all because you don't have that privilege. And yeah. so there, there are so many things, you know, we look at over the past 50 years of so many injustices that have come from this. And, and honestly, you know, just the way this whole thing started was for political, like it was started to be divisive. Yeah. You know, it was just one of those things like, hey, let's use this to be divisive. What do you guys think now about the, uh, the states that have just legalized recreational? We all know that they're not going to have stores next week, but... Now that possession is legal, and uh, do you think there'll be a, a new black market for a little bit or a traditional market? And you know, because that's what happened in Washington when you have the rule 
but no regulation. People do what they want. So um, one, you know, we as the cannabis industry, we want the illicit market to go down. Yes. And we want the tax and regulated market. We want people to go want to buy from a regulated market because then yes. you know what it is. You yes. have and, you know, let's be honest. You can get away with murder when it comes to selling strains nowadays. Yes. No, no, just it's a marketing ploy. Just call it whatever you want. Cookies. I'm going to rap about it. Yeah. Until we have the science and regulations behind it. Um, but with that being said, you can do regulations wrong and you can overtax this industry and overregulate this industry. So operators um, say, you know what? I don't want to participate in this industry. And in the black market, the illicit market never goes away. And, and a consumer will pay a premium. You know, you're going to pay your premium for organic grapes at Whole Foods. People will pay premiums for stuff. But if, if their cannabis is, you know, X amount, but it's half as much going to their regular dealer they've been going to for the past 10 years, they're not going to go to a regulated market. And so... Policymakers need to know this. And you have to remember, this has never been done before. No one ever, there's not a history book on how you regulate the cannabis industry. So you you look to what worked in Colorado, what worked in Washington State, what didn't work in Washington State, what didn't work in California. What's so, not working in Illinois. Without, yeah. What I want to talk to you about then is what's the NCIA's position on limited market versus open market states? Um. So we don't take positions at the state level because we let the states work it out. Most of our issue is at the federal level, getting the states. You know, our position is allow the states to have these arguments, allow these states, push this out of the federal government, allow the states to determine this and let the states determine their own speed on how they want to do it. But we think it should be an open process. You know, it should be an open process. There should be home grows. There should be a lot of these things. Because it's America. Like I don't like I don't like limited market states. So I don't like when a state is picking the winners and losers. And then you know there's only five operators, and it's still mostly illegal. So and, you know it, I don't think that's good for snuffing out the black market. Yeah. So uh, NCIA did we did a a live uh, NCIA election live you know stream yesterday, and we had a couple policy wonks on, and I asked that question about uh, regulations. What are some lessons learned? And one of the big takeaways is do not have a very limited market. It just leads to corruption. Yeah. Lawsuits. Yes, it leads to lawsuits. So, like, let's be honest. Five licenses in New York City. Are you kidding me? You could have five licenses in, in, in one neighborhood. Like, right. that's not going to do it. That just leads to compliance costs and the cost of entry in becoming millions of dollars. Whereas, yeah. whereas you know, to me, honestly... It should be the wild, wild west. It should be like Oklahoma. Look at Oklahoma. Yeah. You got a couple yeah. hundred bucks. You get in. You build a better mass trap. You got a great idea. Mm -hmm. That's capitalism. At its That's it. That's America. So, and Michigan, I like too. Let it work. Let it yeah. work its way out. And if you can't grow cannabis and sell cannabis and make money, you're probably not going to be in the market. And the market will sort of work its way out. Exactly. That's right. And then Pennsylvania, we're, we're fans of the Pennsylvania uh, uh, proposed market about the craft local because uh, microgrower license. Yeah. I yeah. mean, but like you were to your point about quality and, and, and testing and people paying for Primo, people will buy shit too. Like yeah. if you just uh, make lab testing, you know, so people know what they're smoking, most people smoke cigarettes, people yeah. are going to smoke shitty weed. Yeah. yeah, but then people will smoke American cigarette. I'm sorry, American so spirit I, cigarettes. I, so those are like fancy ones. I use that example. I used uh, alcohol. 
hey, listen, no matter how many beer choices we have, a large percent of the population is just going to buy Budweiser. They're just going to buy Budweiser. Yeah. And that is what it is. And I'm not going to, you know, I, I drink Bud whenever given the choice. But guess what? Some people may like, you know, a microbrew or this. I like cannabis. I want cannabis to be the same way. 10 years from now, 20 years from now, we could have, you know, the Walmart of cannabis just yeah. selling shit weed or whatever you, but if that's what the consumers want, then they're going to demand it. You know, I'm not, I'm not going to say, oh, look down on someone because they drink Budweiser. That's what they want. Like, who are, who are <laughs> us? Who are Michael, we to tell somebody? Yeah. Your analogy is freaking on point. Did you know PBR just released a CBD uh, no drink? <laughs> they did. They and did. I, I don't have the highest opinion of PBB. I have to step out. PBR. Yeah, yeah. Oh, all right. Well, Niggy does uh, volunteer his time. This is his lunch break. I I work in, a, in my own firm, and so like this is my marketing. But uh, let's start going over the the states because I mean, like a lot of them were quite red. So Montana recreational has been approved in Montana. Are you familiar with the Montana uh, regulation scheme, Michael? So I'm not very familiar. We've done a couple webinars and live streams to talk about it. I don't even try to pretend to be an expert on the specifics of it. We just look at it sort of from the big picture. Um, we're really comfortable with the election results. I couldn't be happier with Montana. I couldn't be happier with the vote, with the vote numbers. And nice. so I'm, I'm optimistic good things are going to happen. Yeah, but we we have... If someone does the regulation right or wrong, or they've done something that's going to, you know, need adjusting, but I'm happy. Yeah, me too. We had somebody uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago before uh, each each state that was online. We we tried to have somebody from like their local chapter of Normal or their organizations that we could find in that state on to discuss the the specifics of the law. And it looks like it's going to be another quite open market, which looks really really cool. And um, the guys were really chill that we had on, so we're looking forward to that. How about Arizona? Arizona also passed Prop Two Hundred Seven. Um, what's your thoughts on Prop Two Hundred Seven? So I'm one, anytime we get cannabis legalization in a state, I'm happy. Now, uh, what, what I would do, what I would want may be different than what the voters wanted or what the people who actually put the ballot initiative uh, together. Now, I'm, I'm, happy for, I'm happy for Arizona. That is a win for us. But from what I've heard, it tends to be uh, the... Um, the people who are already in the industry in medical yeah. have an advantage over yeah. some of the others. And so when we, we were talking about sort of free market unlimited, you know, my view at NCIA is I'm, I'm not, I don't play favorites. We don't lobby for one company. We don't lobby for 10 companies. We just lobby for fairness across the industry. And the last thing I want is, uh, is an industry where you're picking favorites uh, or you're picking someone has an advantage. And so, you know, but, there's political reality. Someone has to fund these campaigns. Someone has to put it up. Someone has to bankroll them. And it is what it is. Arizona is up there. But I've heard that um, the people who are already in the space now have an advantage. But we'll see how that plays out. Yeah. And then that was one of the things we took away on this show as well. when we discussed with Tom Dean and we also had, I think, Safer Arizona on the program. It, it appears that it's going to be a limited market. And so the market opportunity for the people out there that's like, Arizona, how do I get in? You wait and then you there, there will be a social equity round that yeah. might take a year or so before we understand what that social equity round looks like. It's 26 licenses. Very often these these, you know, the industry is quite dynamic. I mean, the industry changes pretty regular, changes like 
par for the course in the industry. Yeah. And so because of that, we don't know how many more licenses will open up in the future, but we can hope that it becomes, because Arizona is a, a lot of these red states are fairly free market business oriented you know, uh, states. They like that. That's their, their nom de plume. It's like, no, I'm a conservative because I'm a businessman. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I'm hopeful that Arizona does open up. Miggy, welcome back, man. We hey. just uh, went over Montana and Arizona, which brings us to uh, what state is after Montana and Arizona? South Dakota. South oh Dakota made super history. They, no. Uh, yeah. No, I was going to say I'm I'm amazed by the results. You know, uh, two years ago, uh, North Dakota was like, "Hey, let's think about medical. No, screw it. Let's go to adult use. Let's see where this goes." And it sort of failed. And I think it was just a little too early. And, you know, because if you look at the polling, uh, medical marijuana is like 80% plus. And adult use tends to be in the 50s to 60s. Um, There's a big difference. It depends how you word it in the state and everything. So I was like, hey, listen, I don't don't know South Dakota voters, but, you know, are they biting a little too much off right now? I was actually surprised with the overwhelming support. So that, that was a pleasant surprise waking up to that this morning. Well, and I think, like, you know, as, as much as we are divided as Americans, I mean, as humans, we can all agree, like, you know, this common sense type shit, like jaywalking, bad, but you don't belong in jail for it, you know? Yeah. Uh, you know, what do you guys think, though? As we're going state by state, though, I just heard that uh, Wisconsin might be going to Biden for sure. So a Biden presidency, I think, will have more chances for legal because uh, Harris has talked about it at each stomping ground that I've seen her speak on about legalization. Uh, will it not avoid all these rules? Like, no. I mean, not the infrastructure, but the, you know. No, but like, you, mean, you mean you mean if Trump is elected or if Biden no, is Biden. elected? If Biden is elected, I mean, I'm, I, I'd love to hear the NCIA's position on this because I, I harp on this a lot. And I, that was one of the reasons. Well, thanks for being back on YouTube, everybody. We're, we're thrilled that you're actually able to tune into Cannabis Legalization News. But one of the things that I did uh, information about before I got shut down could have been the election. It could have been all that uh, uh, DEA hemp litigation analysis that I was providing. Like the DEA didn't want me explaining why their IFR was complete bananas. But what is the what what? Uh, how does the NCIA think uh, a change of administration would impact um, uh, federal policy? So I get this question asked a lot, and if you go back into a time machine to 2016, candidate Trump didn't say horrible things about cannabis. He was like, ah, you know, uh, I think it should be a state issue and sort of left it at that. And, you know, when Cory Gardner, the senator, former, now the former ex-senator of Colorado, you know, spoke to him, he sort of said some good things. Like, I think I should leave it up to the, leave it up to the states, which was positive from our perspective. But he there proceeded to appoint Jeff Sessions uh, as his attorney general and then William Barr two people who couldn't have been worse on cannabis reform. And, you know, have uh, have they sent in the tank to enforce federal law? No. Have they shut down the industry? No, because we know it'd be political suicide. But we do know there was a whistleblower at DOJ who testified in Congress who said William Barr was mucking up stuff behind the scenes when it came to cannabis mergers. You know, they're using antitrust law to slow up a lot of these Canadian American reverse mergers and to do whatever they could to slow up cannabis industry sort of progress. And so, you know, it hasn't been bad, but it could be better. 
And, you know, Joe Biden personally, let's be honest, the guy is probably horrible on marijuana. You know, he said some bad things. He's done some bad things over 20 years. They stripped it out of the Democratic platform of cannabis legalization, I think, to be vanilla. But with that being said, his vice president, Kamala Harris, is the co-sponsor of the Moore Act in the Senate. That's important. She said during the campaign, like, hey, we're going to fight for some of this stuff. That's important. But what's most important is who a Biden administration will appoint to the senior government position. I will take a Biden attorney general over a Trump attorney general any day of the week. Any day. It is these bureaucrats. So uh, a new secretary of treasury, they could re they could redo the guidance on uh, banking. You know, you get a new uh, veterans affairs secretary. They can redo the guidance when it comes to vets. Uh, accessing marijuana and and VA hospitals uh, getting uh, access to marijuana. You look at HHS and NIDA and the DEA and some of these organizations that could change their position. Does it take uh, Congress to change the law? No. You could do things administratively to make it a lot easier for the cannabis industry to feel comfortable to streamline some of these things. So I will take a Joe Biden administration because who I think he would put in because he'll be surrounded by more people who have a good view of cannabis than the people who circle in Trump's environment. Now, yeah. personally, personally, hell, Trump could be a better person on cannabis. I don't know. They've never really taken position, but I just look at the governments they form. Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. And then, you know, I'll be honest with you personally, I was going to be two days ago a little more optimistic of what would happen in Congress. I've now tempered those expectations. And honestly, regardless of what happens with Biden and everything else, like just the ideas of Canada's reform happening and then something major happening in the next year or so have definitely gone down. Oh, yeah. Because, hey, Mitch McConnell is going to have a lot of power. The House Democrats lost some of their power. Uh, If Biden wins, it is not going to be some mandate. It's going to be very slim. Right. So, you know, I don't think anyone's going to be like, hey, let's start legalizing cannabis tomorrow. So it is it, as a lobbyist, it keeps me busy, but I'm a little less optimistic than I would have been, you know, two days ago or um, blue tidal wave. What about uh, hemp? Does the NCIA also advocate for the hemp industry? So for the longest time, hemp always wanted to be separated from marijuana because they're like, what, what do they call it? Our, our dirty cousin or whatever. And it was just one of those issues where it wasn't us. It was sort of him trying to separate and make it an agricultural commodity. And so, um, you know, we are the cannabis industry and hemp is part of the cannabis plant. And so we've never it's never been our priority, but we've always cared about it. And we've made comments uh, with to the DEA. You know, the DEA, we just submitted comments recently to the DEA. A year ago, we produced um, a paper. Um, a policy paper on what we think regulation should look like. And that is, uh, you know, THC above uh, 0.3 below. Is it going to be a topical? Is it going to be an intoxicant? Is it going to be a medicine? Uh, How are you consuming it to determine how it should be regulated? So these are important parts. And hemp, I think hemp hemp is very important because it opens up like traditional Republican support, you know, farmers rural areas and once they start seeing him they're like hey shit this is him and then they go wait this is what's so bad about marijuana it's part of the cannabis plant and you have to remember 
we demonized him for most of the past. Oh, yeah. And so just changing that dynamic will slowly change, you know, definitely conservative, traditional, you know, farmers and rural people's view on just marijuana and cannabis in general. So it's really important. But so we, we follow it. We watch it. It's not our biggest priority, but it's around. And yeah. we're, we're, we're friendly. We're friendly with all the hemp people. And we just did a um, uh, we did a webinar a couple weeks ago and we brought some hemp people in to talk about what's going on with hemp. So we, we talk about it. That's good because that uh, that gets at the Sonny Purdue, the the USDA head would also, I think, be substantially better under a Biden administration. Is, Thank you. Yeah. I got to use that one. I got to add it to my list. Yeah. yeah big, well, I mean, the USDA regs essentially put the DEA back into like helping regulate hemp. And so it is, it could implode the industry as opposed to like a USDA head that could have been like, well, what does the plant itself do? Well, this is 20 to 1 THC CBD ratio. Oh, OK. Well, as long as the seeds have these genetics, that's the ones that we're going to enforce. If they have those genetics, then no, you know, but eh. even with arbitrary numbers, because uh, I was talking to a friend today about uh, Oregon, where hemp and marijuana are legal at the same time. Apparently, there's a little beef between marijuana farmers and hemp farmers because of cross-pollination. Uh, so I've, I've had that discussion, too, where the cannabis, the marijuana farmers don't want hemp anywhere near right. outdoor grows. They don't. For that reason. And so it is It is definitely something to think about. But that's honestly, that's a good problem for us to have. If they're fighting out that, that means it's legal and they're, they're you know. That's they're, right. They're fighting over, like, cross-pollination. Welcome yeah. to Monsanto's world. Yeah. <laughs> But like if if cross pollination like say makes your hemp field turn into a th field or vice versa, the semantics of the the number like the farmer shouldn't get burned in the end because their stuff tested hot or cold. So that's a that's a really important issue because what really matters is the final product. What what really matters is the final product, and so. You know, if during if during the processing, your numbers go up or down or something happens, the DEA shouldn't be able to step in and be like, oh, sorry, you went over. I'm throwing this out. What they should be what they should be measuring is the final product, what you're putting on the shelves and selling. And that like, let's be honest, like that's important because I'm a consumer uh, just in life. If I go to the store and I buy a lotion or alcohol or some substance. I want to know what their advertising and marketing is in there. And it's going to be no different for cannabis, for THC, for CBD, for strains or anything. I want to know. I want to have confidence as a consumer. And I know, I guarantee you, you know, when you look at middle America and their acceptance of cannabis and soccer moms and all this, soccer moms are going to want to know, like, what's in their cannabis and what experience they have so they can repeat that. You know, they're not going to... You know, on Monday they go in and they buy a strain to have a good experience. You know, next Monday they go in, they have a different experience. They don't want that. They want to be able to repeat, you know, whatever experience they had and have and that, in that. And that's but that, that is a thing. I mean, like he, you're right, man, because there are some strains I don't like. Like it's like no, no, no. That gave me that, that made me paranoid. I didn't like the way that made me feel. Yeah. But then there's other strains that will not give me that feeling at all, and they feel great. And they have different flavors, and they, you know, like I'm not big on the diesel flan, uh, fan because whatever that that caryophylline or whatever it, that that terpene uh, profile doesn't suit me. But yeah. I like the uh, the myrcene mixed with limonene. You know, yeah. your G Cushes, those are great. Yeah, yeah, no, 
you know, all these new recreational and medical states, they're going to have to come to the uh, realization too about this product because you get a good batch, you get a good strain or whatever, and it's there's only so much of that. You know, whether whether it's 300 plants or three acres, there's going to only be so much quantity that exists from that one product, and then they're going to try and reduplicate that again in the next grow or whatever. Uh, you know, I see shortages probably in Mississippi, right? They're probably not ready for this. Or, well, or so that's the thing, and that's one of the just lunacies of it, and that is the only way you can uh, research this is to get your cannabis from the DEA farms down in Mississippi, huh. which you talk to any researcher, and it's like shit weed. And, yeah. and, and it's, it's horrible. And I think one thing they should loosen up is just allow uh, – can you imagine a world where they allowed state universities to do their own research and let the state universities want the grants and want to do the research? You have 50 state universities doing research on cannabis? Like, it would be amazing oh. what we could get out of it. And the fact that they have a monopoly down in Mississippi just shows you – you know how the federal government can muck. Oh, oh, we're 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 growing more. It's record. We're researching it. We're doing more research. You could, yeah. you could. Uh, I hate to say it, but you could slow play research for ten years to wait for that evidence to prove something. And it's science. You get two yeah. scientists together, both of them yeah. trying to get tenure and or published. Yeah. They will not disagree at all. No, that, that's all they'll do is disagree. Yeah. Be like, well, that's that's your theory. And yeah. I think it's wrong because you know, and then they'll have conjecture and they can just argue about stuff yeah. forever. Yeah, I yeah, mean, yeah. It's crazy. But let's talk about uh, have we touched on Mississippi's? Let's talk about Mississippi. So that would be amazing. Here it is. You know, the true south, one of the biggest reactionary places on Earth. Yeah. The only place is that legal, the federal government can legally grow cannabis. And um, I, I talked to people who were working the ballot initiative like a year ago. I thought they were building up a great team. I thought they were building up a great campaign. Um, the legislature jumped in at the last second. You know, let's be honest. The best way to do cannabis reform is through the legislature. You know, no one likes to amend the Constitution. But guess what? These legislatures aren't doing their job. So it's up to ballot initiatives to do it. You amend the Constitution. And so the uh, uh, politicians in the state were like, hey, let's throw a monkey wrench into this and let's make it a little harder and let's throw up another amendment. And they tried to confuse voters. And so there is Prop 65 or Initiative 65, Prop 65, whatever they call it. And then 65A. And then they had yet another initiative where the voters had to say, yes, I'm supporting one of those two. It was so ridiculous and convoluted. But and I was worried that this would confuse voters. The yeah. voters spoke, and so now you know medical is going to be legal. However, the state officials, you know, slow play this or whatever. Well, legally, they identify it as a. to start growing in Mississippi. I'm curious what that means for the DEA farms. Well, I just hope that it's an open market. And I thought uh, some of the rumors that we have, we're going to have a Mississippi episode on now. But because like it is so red, it was difficult trying to find a guest. Yeah, uh, trying to find somebody to come on and actually advocate for it. Now that they've actually passed it, thing will be a little easier. Well, but, I the governor was stated against it too. Like he said, he was going to help fight it. Oh said, gosh, it, yeah. it stoner's dream is what he called it. Yes, and the dream won again. And so, like this has happened before. And Arizona had this problem back when they first passed it years ago, and then their legislature gutted it. And so now that the people of Mississippi have told the the uh, people in charge what they want. Is the is are you going to see one of these things like with Florida, where the the people voted for a very broad amendment, and then Florida comes in and makes one of the most restrictive yeah. cannabis markets in any state? 
So um, one, uh, I recommend, so Joel Baumgar is a, a state legislator. He was the leader Republican. If you want to reach out, look, look on, look on the state legislator, try to find him, reach out. He may want to talk about it, but um, I give it a high probability. You know, you're, you're an elected official in Mississippi. You don't like this. How do you mess this up? Okay, let's rewrite the rules. Let's change something or let's make something so restrictive like they did in Florida. I remember Florida, it, it, it worked out to where like it ended up applying to like nine companies or something like that. Like you had to be, you had to be a horticulturalist for thirty years or some ridiculous. Amount. Yeah, it was it, just so crazy. Go wrong. Fifty million bucks or something. It just pushed yeah. the cost of getting into that industry so high that yeah. there's like one player, Trueleaf, accounts for fifty percent of the market cap. Talk about a Budweiser. Yeah. yeah, and 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 listen, hey, more power to them, but that's wrong. That's not the way you want. They're providing, but you know, I don't want a monopoly. You know, yeah. I don't want monopoly businesses and. You know, it's it's interesting. You know, you mentioned them because I talk to people all the time, East Coast versus West Coast. You know, East Coast, the last state up there is New Jersey. And New Jersey is important because, you know, um, as New Jersey goes, I think you will see the entire uh, New England Northeast go. Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, the governor of New York has said, hey, let's look at this regionally. And they've had some discussions. You know, Rhode Island, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York. Hey, let's do this together because you know that if they legalize in New Jersey, everyone from New York is going to go over to New Jersey and start buying. Yeah. If you think the traffic's bad now. Yeah. And so it is something <laughs> to think about, but they need the governor has been, the governor's been outspoken and supportive of this for years. So more power to him. Um, but you know, I talk about the East Coast versus the West Coast. I don't want heavily regulated monopoly like regulations coming in that you see on the East Coast, New York with their five licenses or what have you. And I hope I hope um, that the, the region in the Northeast produces sort of an open market to make it better. I don't want you know, once you start getting one company, two companies, three companies, that's when you get the shenanigans. That's when you get the bribes, that's when you get all the problems, and I don't want any of that. Well, for Jersey, because it took them a while to get their medical going yeah. on its own, so do you think they'll be just as fast? I know, again, the legislator, the, the governor, the lieutenant governor are all on board, but what's the pushback? Why is it taking so long for them so, to get um, I think, I think the pushback, you know, it, it, there may be a couple legislators who have issues with it, um, or, you know, they're I don't know. You know, the governor has said that um, they're going to try to do, I think, a special session either in November uh, or December to start talking about what regulations. Now they have the approval of the voters um, of what they need to do to go forward. But, you know, you never you never know how things work once you start getting involved with politics and you start dealing with legislators and cutting deals and this and that. Um, I just wish. You know, I, I wish I could just magically go like Oklahoma and just be like, hey, guys, have fun. Wild, wild west. Yeah. $250 entry. Like, go have fun. And, and, and in five years from now, we see how it works. 
Well, I mean, there's still going to be regulations. There's still going to yeah. be like, here's your security regulation. Here are the rules. They're going to give you the rules. Mm -hmm. And then you have to comply with the rules. Like, you know, I, you hear about uh, an operator in, uh, in Oklahoma getting hit with like a half a million dollar fine. And they're getting hit with a half a million dollar fine because they put something in their plants that was on the illegal list. And they weren't supposed to test for that or they weren't supposed to use that. And, and boom, they get hit with that fine. They'll be out of business. Yeah. And that's all we want to do, right? We just want to be within the rules. Like whether you're a consumer or a business person, you're like, I just don't want to go to jail and get seriously. <laughs> but then like it's like a casino. And so, like, okay, you're gonna have this legal gambling in an area where people are gonna bring a lot of money and then they're gonna walk away with a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're gonna need to regulate that and we're gonna need to have security protocols, we're gonna need to have cash handling protocols. I mean, all these types of things, of course, you need for this industry because it, you know. It, the price of flour is still fairly high in Oklahoma, right? I mean, it's still like over 2000 bucks uh, a pound wholesale, right? Yeah. So like if you have something that a pound of is two grand, you know, it, 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 yeah, you're going to need a vault. And then wouldn't it be great if you could actually buy it with your credit card so people aren't like, you know, there's more money in that dispensary over there than God. And they know that it's cash money as opposed to, like a swipe. That's one of the arguments I've been making for seven years now, just the common sense approach to this. Like, hey, listen, the state of California is deemed this legal. Like, why, why can't they do this? And so that's just one of the issues that I don't, you know, no matter who I talk to, regulators want this, the industry wants it, bankers want it. Like, why is this not gotten over the finish line? I don't get it because it just, it just makes so much sense because, you know, if you're a smaller operator, you don't want to have to sell out half your company to some venture capitalist just to get money. You just want to go down to the bank and get a loan like you do if you were to open up a pizza shop. And then you got your you got your business plan. You got your idea. Great. Let's do it. Let's open up a business and then let's start running it like every other business in America. So it is it is it is it is interesting and keeps me busy. Especially when you limit the business just to one state, right? We got Oregon and Nevada and Washington kind of bordering each other. Right there, intercommerce could happen. So there is uh, in Oregon, I think it's the Craft Cannabis Alliance, where you know there was a glut, there was a big glut of cannabis in Oregon. Um, you know, the market, the growers, processors, you know, the the demand wasn't there, and they want to export it, but they can't export it, and you know, legally export it. Right. So, you know, until we know, you know, some states, Florida, better on oranges. You know, California grows agricultural commodities and, you know, whether it's wine, some states are just better at this than others. And until we have 50 states legal and we have some equilibrium in right. where it's like, hey, let's grow cannabis in the West or let's grow cannabis here and, you know, outdoor versus indoor or electrical, you know, the cost of electricity. You know, until the market is able to really come in and we find a market price, we're going to have all these inequalities from one state to the other that we're never going to be in an equilibrium. That's right, man. And it's and I also think you're going to eventually get it where I like to go visit Miggy in Seattle. And Michael, are you in uh, D.C.? I'm in D.C. All right. Do they got a brewery over there? Oh, yeah. So we have a local there's a like Atlas Brew, um, there you go. a DC DC bra. So there's a couple going. So definitely right. And like so, like when I go to another place, you know, I'd like to sample the local wares. And that local scene is something that can totally be there with this industry because you have to grow the plant, harvest it, cut it, cure it, 
and then like make it delicious. Well, that, all that <laughs> stuff made it delicious to get there. But then you might also want to process it. It takes time. And so it's it's really, really great to have you on and discuss all that. And that Oregon thing that we touched on at the end, uh, kind of sneaking this one in, uh, Oregon voted to legalize a lot of <laughs> other stuff besides uh, just cannabis. I mean, I know this is cannabis legalization news, but Oregon went further. Oregon decided to decriminalize drugs. And they also, I thought, decriminal or did they legalize uh, mushrooms? Or, or like, did they allow for, I thought they also passed something besides that. But uh, I, yeah. yeah. That measure failed uh, just barely for whatever weird reason. Uh, mm. The last one I looked at, it showed that missing by a couple percentage. Let's Leave see. it up to Oregon voters to lead us by many years on what they're thinking. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, no. So the so, moment says uh, they both passed. All right. right. So, what, in D.C. just legalized uh, mushrooms legal. So I'm curious. I'm yes. curious what's going to happen with that. Yeah, because uh, that's another regulatory framework, which is different than the regulatory framework that we're building in cannabis, simply because it's it's a different experience, you know. And I think that cannabis being regulated like alcohol makes complete sense. If anything, it should be regulated slightly less, because when I've seen somebody, myself included, where I am just blitzed and drunk, I am way less in control than when I'm just really too high and I'd like to sit down and have some tea. You know, uh, and, and so because of that personal knowledge, I know that it should be pretty easy to regulate cannabis in a way that it can be regulated like alcohol. I don't have the experience uh, with mushrooms. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> How are they, Miggy? Could you could you use some of your personal wisdom to let us know if it's going to be all right? I mean, you know, from my experience, uh, the mushrooms, uh, just like everything, tinctures and dosage. You know, if you take too much, you're, you're in for a hell of a time. But if you just do enough, you're going to have that. I, I, I feel drunk is what I, I equate it to. I get a little dizzy, a little quasi, but it definitely should be something that should be regulated like alcohol opposed to cannabis. Cannabis just needs to, like broccoli. That's what that needs to be left at. And, you know, just trust the mushrooms where you buy that at the store. Be nice to, I mean, where are we going to buy them? Yeah. <laughs> I can't how are they going to market that? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's so much potential for it, but it is a, a medicinal property. It does, it's proven. It helps with PTSD just as well as uh, cannabis is. I think cannabis is more of a, a daily dosage type thing, whereas mushrooms, if you're treating yourself for whatever reason, it's more like, hey, tonight's the night that we're going to try and readjust our, our mental state because you're not yeah. going to do that at work. You know, I yeah. smoke before I come in and I smoke after I leave work. I mean, this is what it is. I function. Yeah. Fascinating. Michael, thank you so much for joining us today. Where can we go to find and follow what you guys got going on at NCIA? Or do you have any socials you'd like to help? So, one, uh, thanks for bringing that up. I don't have it on top of my head, but follow me on social media, just the pot lobbyist. Uh, I can't believe that was still out. I've had that for a couple of years. I got to sell that when it becomes big. Uh, sure. Pot lobbyist, Twitter, Facebook, uh, um, uh, Instagram, and then uh, the cannabis industry, you know, uh, cannabisindustry.org, National Cannabis Industry Association, anything. Uh, we, you know, we normally do our uh, big uh, cannabis businesses summit, and we usually do that in the summer, and no one's doing events. And so yeah. we're, doing a, we're doing a cyber, we're doing our National Cannabis Conference uh, cyber event, which is next week. So you guys are interested, you know, to uh, any of your listeners, it's a great opportunity to just get educated on some of the issues and hear some good speakers. Totally. Totally. Cool. Now you guys have put out content 
just nonstop. And so like, I, I really like getting all the, uh, the information that, you know, you yeah, guys well, our, our policy department has done a really great job. And I've, I've always wanted NCIA to be the thought leaders, mm -hmm. and like a little think tank for the cannabis industry, just producing all these ideas and bringing, you know, when you have a thousand plus businesses, bringing those people in, you know, we have committees, we have subcommittees, just start talking about, Hey, what's important. How do we regulate? How do we market? How do we advertise? You know, how do we test all these little things that we need to learn so we do it right? And uh, no, I, I appreciate you guys always saying some good stuff. Well, that's super dope. But thank you so much for joining us today again. And thanks for tuning in, everyone. Make sure you like and subscribe to keep up with all cannabis legalization news. We will see you on Sunday. Thanks. <laughs>